Hey, everybody. We have a, uh, a sponsor to talk to you guys about quick. We've had them on the show a few times. We've seen them at the Grid Life Paddocks for the past couple years. Uh, really good people and uh, really, really cool products and cars and services. So Fields Auto Works, uh, fun cars to drive and own, serious track performance, uh, a lot less hassle, cost, consumables. Um, they have uh, they make their own cars, and very cool stuff. If you haven't heard, listen back to the one with Rob Fields. We talk about a lot of the details of the Cardinal. Uh, extremely unique, affordable for the performance that you get. Like a, I don't know, it's probably like a fifth of the cost of a GT3 and runs about as fast as one. Uh, easy performance upgrades like wheels, tires, boost, tune, aero stuff, even engine swaps, I'm sure. Uh, three performance level offerings, the S300, the Cardinal, and the Scioto. Uh, which is gorgeous, by the way. That car is amazing looking. Um, opportunities for build spots uh, are limited, and uh, they are building cars right now. They've taken orders. Uh, we have seen one of the uh, earlier production ones at a bunch of Grid Life events. Really, really cool. The Cardinals got great vintage vibes, uh, modern Mustang underpinning, and uh, like probably half or less of the weight of, uh, of a modern Mustang. So your bearings, your hubs, your everything lasts a long time. Uh, and Fields Engineering, uh, full motorsports services are available. Shop services for large projects, arrive and drive stuff, uh, services for your own car or one of theirs. Uh, engineering, design, and small-scale fab work and production. Composites fab work. Um, and puts the combined expertise of aerospace engineers, IndyCar builders, IMSA crew chiefs, and uh, more on their staff, on their crew, uh, at your fingertips, which is uh, hard to find and really, really great prep shop work. Uh, super cool people to have trackside, uh, and they let me steal their tools when I need them, which is great for me. So, so uh, uh, if, you, uh, if you want to check out fieldsautoworks.com, uh, really, really cool people. Our buddies over at the uh, Winning Formula in uh, Kentucky are hosting a uh, advanced uh, and competition cars test and tune track day, uh, March twenty six weekend actually, March twenty six twenty seven of 2022 in case you're listening to this in the future and you can register for that at motorsportsreg.com slash events slash winning formula test dash day dash blah, 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 blah. just search winning formula <laughs> you'll figure it out on motorsports reg putnam is super fun uh it's a it's a really good kind of uh it's, a, it's twisty but it's got some really fun uh we, we talked about this show. It's got some really fun elements to it. And turn one sneaks up on me, and I think I was the only person that spun in turn one uh, that day. A lot of really quality drivers at these events. Um, my fit was a little floppy, and I did turn one wrong. But it was fine. Um, great people and uh, great track. Really, really fun. So check that out. Motorsportsbridge.com. Search winning formula in March 26, 27 uh, of 2022. Kinds of stuff. Uh, this is this is episode number five from Coda today. Uh, I'm joined by Tom O'Gorman. Are you tired yet? Uh, I'm not tired, but I expect that I will be sunburned. That sounds. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> we're all fried. Look like a bunch of lobsters. Uh, Northerners come to Texas. So uh, you haven't been on the show in a while. No. And you've, you've done some things. You kind of like reorganized your life. How does that I feel? I really have. I have a lot. Yeah. It feels really good. I'm, uh, I'm in a really good spot, generally. Not to get too deep too fast, but I feel like I'm, I'm grown up a lot in the last six months. Um, <laughs> I've taken on a lot that I've wanted to take, in, take on for a long time. Um, and it feels really good to feel like I'm kind of conquering it a little bit and getting myself better and better. And we can go into all of the details of all of that. But in well, general, this, things are going this good. This is not Scott Robertson's podcast. Right. I forgot. So we were going to talk about the introspective uh, details about life, but I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm <laughs> qualified like, this is for the, that. This is podcast number five. Cool, um, cool it down. No, but for a while last year, you lived in Chicago. Yes. But you, you had spent a lot of time everywhere else yes so chicago was a move for you coming from ohio but then you spent so much time at andy's shop yeah that well now you just moved up to andy's shop exactly yeah so i'm from from ohio and i've i've lived kind of as a gypsy for the last 10 years between working ride and drive jobs and 1099 contract jobs and then pro racing so i never really had a, uh, a reason to move out of my parents house that was just home base and then COVID hit and i realized i sat at my parents house all day, every day, most of the time playing iRacing, and it kind of got a little old. And Kyle Heyer got hired at Gridlife, and he had an opportunity to move to Chicago and needed a roommate, so I took that leap. And Chicago just never clicked for me. I, I really didn't like being there, and I knew I didn't like being there within like two months, maybe Is that less. right? Yeah. So it was kind of like a white knuckle and get through this year and know I'm going to leave. Like, I knew I was going to leave early, but uh, I didn't know if I was going to go to Ohio or, or somewhere else. And everything, everything exciting that happened in 2021 had to do with uh, with ASM, essentially, with the group of people, with the cars we were racing, with the opportunities. You know, as Andy and I got to know each other more, we realized that we have a lot of the same goals and a lot of the same experiences and outlooks. So why not try to conquer stuff together? So sure, yeah. It was kind of another leap. Just I'll, I'll try moving up to central Wisconsin, packed all my warm clothes, and, and it's been awesome so far. Except it's bitter cold. It is, but if you just don't think about it, it's weirder, you know, you're expecting to be cold when you go to Wisconsin, so you leave the house every day with all the layers, it takes 10 minutes to get dressed, but whatever, and then you get to Texas and it's 45 degrees and you feel like you're freezing your ass off, <laughs> so yeah. I felt like I was colder yesterday yeah. than at any time at home. Yeah, that's true, um, and I, you and I haven't talked, I, I think, at all about what you're doing in 2022 professionally yeah. to, like, make a living. Um, I've seen you made some YouTube videos recently, but I don't know that that's where the money is. Like and subscribe. <laughs> but uh, you are coaching. Is that is that Tom's primary source of life? Yeah, it's uh, it's a hundred percent right now, and it's something I've been doing over the last couple of years, kind of in stages. Uh, I've told the story before, but when I started coming to Grid Life back in 2017, I would often be bored during the day. You know, I'd kind of run out of stuff to do. I'd walk around and talk to friends and whatever, but everybody had their own cars and their own things to do until the day was cold, and then I got to have my fun. Um, and it's it just kind of evolved into I would start working with people and drive their cars or occasionally ride with them and start looking at video and data, and it was never something I charged for. It was never something that I considered work, but it was my entertainment during the event. Sure. I got uh, uh, to drive a lot of really cool cars getting to do that, which gave me a, a wide breadth of experience on track, so I, I considered that my payment, essentially. And then I realized that I was building this coaching model that I don't think anybody else is really doing. And I could turn that into proper work if I just 
formalize it a little bit. So I've really spent the last year and a half kind of figuring out what formalizing that looks like because uh, some of the challenges are I don't necessarily have uh, name recognition or a big network in the higher dollar coaching markets. Oh, sure. So even when you get to say, like, I have a professional driver who works as a driving coach and he could h come out and coach you, and the guy with the Ferrari Challenge car says, oh, cool, what, what is, what's his name and what does he do? It, it's, his name's Tom and he was a factory driver in a Civic. <laughs> the, yeah. The credibility is different. So I don't have that, but I do have this amazing network in grassroots racing. Definitely. And I, I came to realize that I have this opportunity that most people don't wear I can build a coaching model that is affordable and effective for the for the grassroots person. Uh, the kind of coaching that I would have maybe been in, interested in as a college student that only had a couple hundred bucks sure, per weekend. Yeah. Sure. Um, and when you're finally you're sleeping in your spec fit and you're at grid life and you finally realize or you finally plateau and you want to get a little quicker, you can actually afford to, to work with me. Sure. Rather than spending a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars to get, you know, some some other driver to come out and coach you because that's their flat rate right um so getting ahead of myself a little bit but i kind of realized that i had been building that accidentally and i decided to to put it all on paper and figure out what does it look like when it's formalized and i got to finally put that out this year after okay. i hate to say practicing but i kind of practiced last year and i i definitely thank everybody that worked with me last year as i was learning because I hope they didn't know I was learning, but I was kind of figuring out what I was going to do. For sure. And, and then this year I got to formalize, you know, I have a, an LLC now and a, and a QuickBooks account. And I get emails from things that get purchased online. And then I have like a process that I go through. I'm like, who is this adult that's, <laughs> that's doing all this stuff? But it's been really cool. That's, um, well, it's interesting that you say that because uh, I don't drive much anymore at all. But I yeah. remember in the time that I was driving, uh, I found myself... Like, it was pretty easy to get up to speed to a track and, like, go kind of quick for me or at least get to the point where I was, like, probably someone better could go faster, but this is pretty close to, to what I feel like I can do just naturally. But I didn't either have the means or know about a service similar to yours that I could, like, afford. Yeah. So kind of walk me through, um, like, your your what does a customer interaction look like on a weekend? I really hope it doesn't sound like a business pitch, but no, um, like, no. but I, I didn't pay for coaching because I didn't think that I could afford it. Sure. Um, and I want people to know that there are options available that will make you faster. Yes. So I, I do do private coaching where you pay, uh, you get me for the day. So you're, you're paying for a day rate and, and that's what most coaches do. Um, so I do work with, with people who are, uh, you know, kind of in that realm, but it's all attention's on you and, and all of my bandwidth is on you. And what we're trying to do is, is very focused. Um, so, and because I, you know, I'd have to travel for that typically and, and you get all, all of my day. Um, that's the more expensive model. That's the one that most people think they can't afford. So I do do that, but that's not, uh, it's not, like I said, where I find a lot of people are interested in actually hiring me for. Sure. Um, so I built two other models. The first one I call trackside coaching, which is essentially what a lot of people have seen me do at grid life events and other events where I'm, I'm already there. And it's very easy for me, uh, whether I'm racing or not, I'm with a group. It's very easy for me to uh, put out like, here's my capacity for the weekend. It's uh, $200 is typically what I charge. And I try to do a pre-event uh, like kind of webinar with them this year, go over uh, some stuff for the event, go over some stuff with the track, um, 
the cool part that I didn't foresee right away is that it's a little community builder. Like I get 10 people online who all see each other's face and they talk about each other's cars and stuff. And this guy's question prompts this guy's question. And oh, sure. So we do like maybe a, a one hour call the week of the event. Then when we get to the event, once that person's driven, we'll go over some videos, some data and just basically let me be a safety net slash resource for them throughout the weekend as much as they need, but also as much as I can handle because obviously I'm dealing with sometimes up to 10 clients, sure. which it feels weird to call them clients, but uh, dealing with that plus often being a participant where I'm racing myself. So sure. I've, I've been figuring out the, the balance, which is why I say last year I was kind of practicing. There were certain events where I bit off a little too much and I had to make sure that those people understood that I was not thrilled with the product I delivered and made sure I accommodate them kind of thing. But sure. balancing being a full-time competitor in GLTC and coaching up to 10 people in a weekend basically all of my energy goes to everybody else when I'm not in the car. Sure. Which is kind of like pro racing where all of my energy was focused on maximizing my time at the event, whether it's PR, marketing, whether oh, it's for sure. networking, whatever, until I get to get in the car. And I always viewed getting the car as the reward. Sure. So for me, it's very similar time-wise, but it's just a different task. And it's, sure, sure. There's that. And then the other side, which is kind of a model that I, I didn't do a lot, but I realized the opportunity there is remote coaching. Uh, which is also only 150 bucks, but I try to do it that you have to do at least five events for the year. And the focus is growing yourself as a driver over a series of events, not only in going into an event with a plan, but coming out of an event with a takeaway so that you can go into the next event with a sure. plan. And a lot of times I think drivers have a hard time doing the self, self-reflection. I had, I had such a hard time with that, learning how to verbalize and reflect on what I was doing because I used to throw everything at the wall and just figure it out. And sometimes I was wildly successful and sometimes I was like, I don't know why I sucked, <laughs> but I didn't do as well as I wanted. Yeah, right. And uh, and I realized that there's there's an opportunity for me to be, again, that safety net a little bit where if they're feeling like, I, I think I'm consistently doing X or I feel like I'm struggling with Y. If you go into your own event thinking like that by yourself, your confidence may be not the same as if someone else told you as well. Sure. You're right. You need to go work on this. And oh, by the way, here's a couple strategies for that and try this and try that and try this. So that so as you do remote coaching, um, this is not a plug, but it kind of is. Um, uh, you're doing work with Apex Pro and yeah. they have some functionality that might make remote coaching really easy. Totally. So yeah, tell they, me about that. How so, do you use that as a tool? Apex Pro is, is one of the more affordable data systems that you can get. And it started off as a box that you put in your car and it would read whether or not in red and green lights you were maximizing the, the, the capability of your car, essentially. So as you drove, it would learn what your car could do. And then it was kind of using accelerometers and stuff to teach you, are you maximizing the grip, whatever. So they grew it into an app and you can go over data in an app with GPS. And now they've got OBD plugins and it's really grown nicely, but it's really quick. And that's what I like about it. It's, it's a very easy system to put in the car and look at, which is perfect for me when I'm doing these coaching things because I can throw it in someone's car, they do their session, we come back out, we look at it and I move on. And that person always feels like they have an objective for the next session. Sure, yeah. And not only is it efficient, but typically what I've been doing now is my partnership with them is they've given me some boxes that I can lend out to people for the weekend. Yep. They pair it to their phone, they get the whole thing for the whole weekend and they, they essentially become self-sufficient where they, they look at it after every session and then they come to me and they say, look what I found. Yeah. And I go, yeah, you're right. Or maybe not, this is what you should look at instead. And they, they basically coach themselves after a couple of sync ups, um, which is kind of what I figured out with the, with the remote coaching too, is if you just kind of push someone in the right direction, people are really good learners. You're a resource, right? Instead yeah. of uh, uh, being a person that has to like 
right on which someone is dependent i guess it's kind of a different angle on the like instructor being in your car telling you what to do versus the instructor telling you what you should do and you doing it by yourself sure yeah yeah. like i'm not in the car telling you what to do all the time but i can i I want you to know what you should do yeah and then if i'm just telling you what to do all the time then you're not learning anything so So i like the self-teaching model with that yeah. Uh, the the new Gen Two Apex Pros has the ability to do uh, real time telemetry. Yeah, so you can you I mean I could be sitting in my apartment in Wisconsin and I could be watching someone lap Barber Motorsports Park, um, which then we can talk about it right after. But they also have an upload system to the cloud that I can pull their data back onto my phone and then I can view their data with them in real time. Um, so it's all super useful for that, and I think it's like the perfect combination for me again with the, with my application. It's the best combination of, you know, quick and easy to understand, but also gives you information that's very helpful. Yeah. Whereas I think like a Harry's lap timer is too simple. It doesn't give you enough information, but it's very, it's very easy to use. Yep. Or on the flip side in the same price point, maybe a Garmin Catalyst or an AIM Solo. Sure. Where those are super rigid and they do have higher capabilities in some aspects, um, but they take way more time to fiddle with. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I have said before that the only way I think uh, aim software could be less user friendly is if it kicked you in the nuts when you started the software. <laughs> yeah. Like if it did that, then we'd be like, okay, well this is really bad. Um, but uh, like, I, I think the telemetry and the, the usability of yeah. the application, I've said to Andrew before that I think the application is my favorite part. Yeah. Um, I well, think that's y- the cool part. So as they've grown, you know, I've, I've worked with Andrew a lot. I met him back when we were pro racing in 2015 so he, I've been aware of his presence for a long time and know, gotten to know him a lot over the last five years, maybe, instead of the last seven. Anyway, uh, I think their shift has focused more towards the app than the, the little data box. Because I, I don't know that I was ever the biggest fan of the here are the lights telling you green and red. Like, I never quite understood how to tell other people how to use it. And I, I don't know. I never, I never bought that right away. But as soon as I saw the app for the first time and I you saw how they interacted with each other and now the emphasis on the app to grow... I've been like, this is money. This well, is so helpful for everybody that I've worked with. My it. favorite part, though, is I, I think the box is really important. Mm-hmm. I like that the app uh, now has uh, the uh, basically indicator of the lights on every corner so yep. that when you review a lap, it says, actually, you know what? There was more grip there. You can see it because here's yes. the indication on the app for the, where the lights, what the lights were showing at the time. Yep. I think that's really cool. Absolutely. And I think a, a driver does better with review and application than real time. Again, the instructor yelling at you in the car to turn, 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 turn. That's different than going out after the session, looking at your phone or your computer, whatever it may be, understanding the opportunity and then going and applying it. Yep. Does that make yep. sense? Like it's a, it's a more effective way for most people. Some people can do it right away, uh, but not everybody. Yeah. I noticed that when I have when I have the device plugged into my um, like in my car, mm-hmm. often or rarely, and is it like so in my immediate vision yes. that I see it and think about it? Like often, I look completely past it, even though the brights uh, the lights are blinding bright. <laughs> the Gen Two is so bright, but uh, for me, it's it's being able to record that data and look at it after the fact and say. Well, actually, you know, I was only, uh, if there are 10 lights, I don't know if there are, but like uh, there's eight of 10, there's, there's two red lights. I'm not going fast enough through that corner. Right. Um, the, the part most frustrating to me was, uh, I went to Putnam with the winning formulas, uh, like 
track day in the fall. Yeah. And I had Aaron drive my car, and Aaron's driven Putnam like a million laps. And he drives the Civic, and he's he's two seconds faster than I am, um, which is frustrating, but I know that he's a better driver, and he drives more than I do. Most frustrating, though, is I wanted to focus on one quarter. It's eight, that left-hander coming yep. out of that, you know, the dip. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried to try to mimic what kind of speed he was getting through that corner. And I just like, it was just like magic. I just couldn't. And a situation like that, I don't know how you solve that problem with like, if you were in that environment, what would you do differently? Where the data shows the car can do more. I just don't know how to make it do that. Sure. I try really hard to root cause analysis, everything for a driver because you're not going slow in that corner because you're not trying hard enough and you're not going slow in that corner because you don't understand how to work the cars. A lot of times people have felt the sensation, but there's something underlying that is holding them back. Um, I would say like getting black and white, most of the time it's either where your eyes are looking, so you're not seeing the opportunity to carry the speed in the same way, or it's your your inputs to the car are not giving you the opportunity to maximize what they're doing. So here at Coda, for an example, in the S's, the S's are weirdly a make or break section of this track and most of the time these these little transitional kind of spots on these racetracks most people figure them out and they're not a make or break time as long as soon as you kind of figure out how to get through them they're not really a challenge it's the slower speed corners where the runs on the straights you know the standard late apex get a get a good run kind of corner is the make or break stuff here at coda you actually have to work the car through those s's um and I've worked with a number of drivers here over the years that they'll come in, aim right at the curb at turn four, brake super hard when they get to it, and try to turn for turn five. They've ignored turn three as a corner entirely, and they've gone into turn four, gotten to about the middle of the apex, and then whacked the brakes, which completely upsets the rear of the car and makes you aimed in the wrong direction so you can't get to turn five. So you've maximized the grip of your car, but you haven't given yourself the opportunity to maximize it for that track in that corner. Does that make sense? Sure. So a driver who can maximize their grip is is step a like you got to get to the limit but learning what to do with that typically it's either not being comfortable braking lightly and coming off the pedal early enough to roll momentum uh, or using either not enough wheel in certain situations or or too too much much wheel in other situations Um, and I, i try to go to the root of why are you yes maximizing the car but not in the way that gets you actually maximized through that corner so like I could pull the data up on my phone, but as we talk about it, like... That would I'm, be so compelling to listen to. Yeah, right. <laughs> look it at this be, on the phone and look at this. And um, look at this. <laughs> I don't think the min speed that through that corner was too terribly different, uh-huh. but it appeared that he, when he was driving, the car just accelerated out of the corner uh, in, a, in a manner that I could not do. Sure. And, I mean, looking back on it, I, I guess you might just say, well, probably the wheel was more open when he was driving than when I was driving possible there's there's so much weight management that happens with driving that i don't think a lot of people uh think about and it's been fun to like transfer from autocross to road racing to coaching because a lot of people say autocrossers transfer to road courses really well but not the other way around and it's down to weight balance and weight management because autocrossers have to be really good at that or else they suck (laughs) okay at the end of the day if you're not good at managing the weight of your car in autocross you're never going to maximize what the car can do but on a road course you typically only load the car once per corner like you go into a corner you brake hard the weight goes forward it goes to the outside and it goes back when you accelerate out right so you got one roll until you get to a track like coda 
and you have a slalom that happens to be one of the make-or-break spots on this track. And you've got to weight transfer that car back and forth and back and forth and use the weight transfer like a slalom in an autocross, sure. but at 120 coming in and 90-something in the middle and 70 in the, in the end. So it's, it's this ex- extreme version of a slalom. Um, but again, the autocrossers have that, that skill built in, and I think road racers who have that skill tend to be able to maximize that just a little bit more. So he might have moved the weight earlier so that he could actually be using the weight transfer to rotate the car through the corner more than, than just the wheel. I think drivers who do the most with the weight and the pedals and the least with the wheel tend to be fast. That makes sense. Um, so there was probably something, I don't know, this specific situation, but all of that is, is stuff I come across quite a bit. And if I can, again, root cause analysis that for your driving, then then hopefully you can apply that everywhere and you can identify it for yourself rather than just me going, oh, you need to do this in turn eight. It's different. Right, right, right. Well, I, I think that's interesting. It's, it's challenging, right? Be- probably, it's especially if you're not in the car to, to experience it. Sure. Um, like, how, as you walk people through that, how do you give them the advice? I try to offer it in a try this, not a do this sure. lens. Because all of us, when we go on track, no matter what level you're racing at, are trial and erroring. And I think the the better the driver, the, the shorter or the, the shorter happens, the better the driver, right? So the, the really really good drivers are really good at problem solving quickly. Um, right. Versus the drivers who are, am I boring you? No, no, <laughs> no, no I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, the the drivers who who take a longer time to to problem solve or get stuck in a rut and they can't quite figure out the the solution. Yeah, what do I do next? Just try this, try that, try this, try that, rather than do this. Unless I know, and then I'll say you need to do this differently. Um, but a lot of the drivers, I mean, working in the grassroots realm, a lot of drivers are really freaking good. Like, there's a lot of really good drivers. Um, they're at different levels of exerting their car and their lap time. But these people are people who want to learn and do better. Sure. And they're good learners, and they understand how to try stuff. Because a lot of them have been doing it long enough to try. Sure. Well, and I think that's a... Um probably a good piece of advice for anyone that is interested in competing and especially in, in like the grid life series there are people uh that will send me an email that will say well per you know i have this car blah 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 you know i'd like to try out time attack but i don't think i'll be competitive because blah yeah. and what what i think when i hear that sometimes is um like it is almost impossible for any person to think they're going to be a competitive in a series that is is as mature as this, if they've never run an event with us, like the guys who are really fast, do this ten times a year at least mm-hmm. in a car that doesn't change that much year over year, and they they like they go out and they drive hard and they practice and at tracks that don't change much. Yeah, and so like I I don't know how you get to be fast if you don't spend your time practicing. Sure, and to bring that back to like to our ad cast for Tomo coaching. <laughs> Brought uh, to you by Tomo coaching. The, the remote coaching is built on that repetition because it takes like when, when you hire me for a day and you pay a thousand dollars in my plane ticket and you bring me to a track, the chances of you leaving that track with a significantly faster lap time is almost zero. 
Sure, and maybe you will be faster at that track, but you might not be a faster driver. Correct. The, the opportunity for you to learn in a single day, I don't know if I'm underselling this, op, this other, you know, the other model. It clearly works for a lot of people, but the opportunity to learn, you hit your bandwidth so fast, you have to be able to try things and, and problem solve for yourself. But if you give yourself the time, you know, the, the guys that are successful with that, they hire their coach 10 times a year. Right. So why not do the remote coaching 10 times a year? Right. But you get some feedback before you get some feedback after. Yep. That's yep. kind of the thought. Um, so I think that like it kind of comes back to the problem solving. Yeah. Well, I um, you had you had a really good race today. I think you finished fourth. Fourth. Yeah. What uh, I I I was watching the stream, but uh, I think during the race the the camera may not have been on you. What was the what did the battle look like between you and Swenson? Because I saw, I think I saw Andy battling with Jeremy, and yeah. then I think you were ahead. I, I, walk me through race one. Sure, that would be great. So, some more context before we get to that. I'm maybe in the order you've already heard all about this car, but basically, I bought this car uh, as a shell when I crashed my own car last year in November. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of contribute it to the ASM cause because I I felt like I had let everybody down by wrecking my car but I couldn't afford to build this car uh, I had a lot of parts left over from my old car but I have no technical skills to make that happen so anything that was going to happen to this shell was going to be you know involves Andy and a lot of other people to help so my goal was to just slowly build it maybe learn you know learn for myself someone gave me great advice like 10 years ago now if you're nowhere in five years in racing learn to do it for yourself like I haven't learned to work on cars really but I'm kind of in that phase where it's probably start to good to start learning to work on cars <laughs> so, you know, that maybe. kind of stuff so i'm looking at this okay i'll get the shell I'll learn how to maybe put the engine in it maybe learn how some of this stuff works uh all, all of that and then it didn't take long for andy to say we're just going to build it into a car and then we got it caged um artsum caged it for us and then we got it back basically two weeks from yesterday and it went from bare shell with cage to full race car that just started on pole and finished fourth in that time because he put all of that effort into it. So fast forwarding to today, I can't ask much more for a car that just did that to start, uh, you know, start on pole and finish fourth. But it's a little down on straight line speed. The power is the same as Andy's car, so we're not sure if, if there's uh, either an aero reason or a heat soak reason because we do have different intake setups and a little different packaging under the hood. Okay. So there's something that's holding me back in the straights. Even relative to Andy, I could tell that we were we were different. And then he's already a sitting duck, mostly to Jeremy and, and James down the back straight, for example. Sure, bullet, bullet. <laughs> so cars. my my battle was not with them. <laughs> my battle was watching them drive by and then just trying to minimize the time lost. Um, but I expect to have to do that probably the rest of the weekend, unless we can figure out something. You know that maybe the engine's only getting hot air and we can fix that intake or something. Sure, sure. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, it just feels, it kind of feels like I broke some, like some rule that I get to race this early after I wrecked my car. And oh, like, yeah. there's a little bit of the, like, I don't get to, de I don't deserve this, but I'm thrilled to get to. So the majority of my happiness is coming from getting to race today. And then there's like a little bit of me that's like, you only finished fourth. Uh. <laughs> well, so tell me about the actual race. So in qualifying, we had one car that had like a very minor tech infraction got put to the back from pole. And then we had another car that exceeded track limits and got put to his second fastest time from second. So I qualified third and I got pole for the race. Ran, I think, the first two laps in the lead uh, until Houghton caught up to me, drove by me on the back straight. 
Um, I missed a shift coming off of 11, which allowed Andy That'll to get yeah. kind of next to me, uh, or by me, basically. Uh, and then Jeremy caught up and, and motored past me, too. Okay. Uh, but it wasn't until I was kind of behind Andy. He was, he was P2 for the first two laps, and he could get up alongside me in the draft. It was what we expected. And then when he went by me... I couldn't even I couldn't draft him and couldn't get up to him. Got it. So the Delta's probably a few horsepower. Significant. I don't know if it's horsepower though. Again, it's like there's something they dynoed theoretically the same. So I'm not going to say it's power, but there's something with the package that's oh sure not sure. not quite there. Um, it already handles better than my old car. That's awesome. Why is that? What, I don't know. My did old you car vehicles on this car and the you, old car. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought yeah. that whatever was on there was. We on there. threw everything at my old car, and we could never figure out why it was weird. Uh, even like a gingerman at the end of the year last year, I know I had the best chassis. Like the car was phenomenal, but it wasn't an S2000. It was something else. It was some weird car that if you put me blindfolded in all the ASM cars, I could pick mine out as like, that's a different car. And then you would tell me it's an S2000 and I'd be like, nah, this is just always weird. And we never knew why we always put, we put the same shocks with the same, uh, obviously engine sphericals. We did everything that, that a car should have, you know, to match the rest of the ASM cars. I've driven all the other ones and they all feel great. And this one feels like that. So I'm excited, you know, if that chassis had to die a less graceful death, uh, that would have been nice, but yeah, right. <laughs> or more graceful, I guess. But it's probably good that that car stopped being a race car. Yeah. Whether it, I think I needed to crash it to have to actually retire it. Cause I was too invested financially in it, but, sure. um, this car will be better off. And the cool part is this is only version one. So, we got a lot of big plans for this kind of, kind of be the pinnacle ASM build, I think. What What's on the list? Uh, stuff. All right. You, Pimpy you can, stuff. You, be... you, know, you know Pete, right? Pete's yeah. been on this. Pete loves to do it upright. Yeah, power, he does. Power Stop Pete or whatever they call him. Power Stroke Pete? Powder Snow Pete? Power Stroke Pete is on the list. Uh, Whiskey <laughs> Pete is also on Whiskey the list. Whiskey Pete. So he's he's got a ton of ideas, and then he and Andy go back and forth and back and forth, and then they go, Tom, what do you think of this color? Or... Tom, what do you think of these wheels? I'm not picking, but now I'm in the group. It's kind of cool. <laughs> um, I don't think I'll drive it forever. Uh, it's We're kind of calling it the shop car. Okay. Um, so I, I'm just fortunate to get to drive it now. I'm trying to do it justice. Cause sure, yeah. So, I mean, like, you kind I, of like I said, I already feel it. like I don't deserve to get to do it. So yeah. I owe it to that, to the group, to everybody, to at least try to do a good job with it. And uh, I, last question, because I recorded with Andy earlier, uh, talking almost exclusively about trailers. Did you did you participate in the driving of this thing? I did. I went and got it. It was in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, and I went down there in a snowstorm. There was no paved roads for the last 10 miles up to this little place. It's not little. It's huge. Uh, walk in. You get all the paperwork for it. it. There's a surprising amount of stuff that goes with the trailer. There's like a leather pouch that came with the whole thing documenting every ounce of information you could need to know about this. And then Pastor John comes out. And Pastor John goes out and walks you around the trailer. Pastor John. Does he pa- bless the trailer? Pastor John, yeah. And then he breaks breaks bread over it. <laughs> he you know, showed me. I don't know if he thought I didn't know what I was doing, which I don't. So maybe he gave me extra information. But I went out with Andy's truck and brought it back. Toe's awesome. Like, it, I, I had no complaints. Yeah. Uh, Andy told me that loading it up in the winter is not particularly fun. It's a little. It's It's kind of like rock climbing with no... Um, safety harnesses, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's, it's kind of probably a, a qualified person only job. It's not like loading any trailer, only because there's no protection on the sides. You could fall off the top if you're not paying attention. Yeah. So we sense. take our time. We've scheduled. I mean, for the first loading, he scheduled an entire day, like an entire. 
if we needed a 14 hour day just to load it. Um, and we're getting better and better at it. Oh, no, who's that? Scott Jocks. What do you want? What do you want? Rally ready? What when, do you want to go out to the woods for? Ready? What was that last one? We need to insert that as a gift somewhere. Eat food, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we got to call this podcast. Thanks to Apex Pro for their support. Of course. And, uh, uh, if you are interested in coaching with Tom, where do you go? Oh, so uh, shopasmotorsports.com. And under the professional driver coaching tab, you can find all my stuff. Uh, and we also just have been, like you said, focusing on some more content. Like I've always respected the hell out of the drift teams that have like a content house feel. Uh-huh. And I've always wanted to do that, but I've never taken it on by myself. But now we're not doing it alone. You know, this group is doing it together. So we have like we have a couple vlogs out. We've been doing track tips every Tuesday. So I'm covering up to I think we have about 25 tracks for track tips total. Oh, yeah. In addition to the 12 or so that Andy's already done. So eventually there's going to be a track tips video for every track in the U.S., I'm sure. That'll be cool. Um, so that's on the AS Motorsports YouTube channel. Okay. And uh, previously I had linked those videos on the real Tracktune website. Uh, yeah. so something happened and uh, Tracktune got uh, commandeered. Oh, it did. <laughs> that will happen. <laughs> I don't. Were you in on that? No. That was a surprise? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. But uh, we have a bunch of the track tips videos on the Tracktune website. Sure. Um, the Tracktune website still exists and people still put stuff on it, but we're busy. So we, we, we put stuff on it when we can. But... Uh, there, there's a lot to learn on track tips. So. Absolutely. And, and I, I try to give you the information that you need to know without going too boring. Uh, but some of them are 20, 30 minutes. And I promise you it's good information. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's about, inf- like I said, information. You want to you know how to drive these tracks. It's amazing. Some people were like emailing, or not emailing, email, DMing me that they've applied that to iRacing. And they're like, I watched your track tips video on YouTube and I got like three seconds faster in my iRacing race. Great. Like, dude, that's wild. That's cool. So cool. Pay me for iRacing coaching. Yeah. (laughs) I've been doing that too. It's actually kind of cool. There's so many tools with iRacing and it's perfect every time. There's no GPS that can mess up. Uh, There's no like, I don't know, the weather was different. You can make it match every single time. Every single lap and trace match every single time. It's it's cool. You remove the variables of real life crap and... That's you just neat. have to play a video game to do it. That's kind of it. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. Totally. Uh, I'm going to go eat some more barbecue and drink some Coronas, I think. Can I come with? Yes. Let's go. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits at Grid Live to say hello. Hello.